I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await as Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Father, thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness in your divine promises. Make us now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, partakers of the divine nature, even now as you are in our midst. In Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Let's jump right in. Listen to the words of St. Paul. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Past tense. Something decisive has already happened for the Christians in Philippi, for St. Paul, for you and for me, all in Christ. But if you're like me, human as I am, it's hard to believe, you can't always live in that reality. Psalm 80 voices a longing. Psalm 80 voices the perplexity of the brokenness all around us. In a week like we've just had, preceded by hurricanes and floods and all manner of activity that, that goes unreported in, in the furthest reaches of the earth, it's hard to remember that we have attained something in Christ Jesus our Lord. Book three of the Psalms is tied together by a theme of longing for deliverance. I believe it runs Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. And Psalm 80 that we read today is square in the middle of that. Put yourself in the place of an Israelite in the Babylonian captivity. One who's seen the glory of God struck down in the temple. The glory of the holy city Jerusalem defiled and defamed. And you, the remnant of the people of Israel, carted off to a foreign land where the inhabitants of Babylon tell you, sing for us, sing one of the songs of Zion. And you reply, I can't bear to do it. Psalm 80. Restore us, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance and we shall be saved. It's a lament. 
begging for revival, for restoration. You have brought out a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shadow and the towering cedar trees by its bows, boughs. I have to sing Rockabye Baby in my head <laughs> to remember how to say that word. When the bow breaks, the cradle will rock. Told you I was human. Verse 11, You stretched out its tendrils to the sea and its branches to the river. In other words, God, you've chosen this, you've taken this sapling of a vine and you've taken the choicest of ground and you cleared out everything out of the way and you've planted that vine. It grew, towering over mountains and cedar trees, the most majestic of trees. Not only that, did it grow tall, but it grew wide from the Mediterranean all the way to the river. Maybe the Jordan River, maybe the Tigris and the Euphrates, but all the way across, high and deep and wide, you have made this nation. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pluck off its grapes? More than that, the wild boar of the forest has ravaged it, and the beasts of the field have grazed upon it. A lament. A lament for a people who were taken from, the, from their homeland, from the place that they identified with culture, with the presence of God, with protection, really with restoration, and they're begging God to return them to that land from a place where they don't want to be. Turn now, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven. Behold, tend this vine. Preserve what your right hand has planted. Restore us, O God of Jacob. A lament, a cry for help. We feel like that is a song that we can sing, do we not? And yet, St. Paul says, only hold on. Be true. Take a hold of. Let, let it sink deeply into your soul what you have already attained. Now remember, St. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And what is Philippi? Besides a great place to stop over for a quick bite to eat. Philippi is a Roman colony made so in about 42 B.C., in Philippi lived the descendants of the army veterans that helped conquer it and make it into a Roman colony. So lots of Roman citizens, lots of people living comfortably. It was on a main road, so it had a good cultural connection to Rome. And as a Roman colony, it would have all the hallmarks of Rome. It would have the civic life of Rome. The peace of Rome would be the peace of Philippi, the protection of the army of Rome. Now, the colonists in Philippi, their goal in life wasn't to move, wasn't to move to Rome, where all of these things were perfectly and emblematically lived out, that peace, that culture, that art, all the things that were so inherent to the Roman life. But their job was to be a colony, to be an outpost, to be the presence of Rome 
outside of Rome. They were to embody the peace, the Pax Romana. They were to embody and impart the culture of Rome to these Greek people, or better yet, these these terrible barbarian people living in northern Greece. That's the view of of a colonist. We don't always have popular view of colonies, particularly right now in history. Colonies did do good things, but a lot of times colonies did bad things. But there in Rome were embodied all these things, and most importantly was embodied the worship of the Lord, the God, Caesar Augustus. That was the crowning bit of the Roman culture at that time when Paul is writing to his church that he's planted. They're about a decade in. Things are going well. They're growing. They're happy. There's only one little disagreement between Yodia and Cintiq, but they'll figure that out. They'll agree. But that's the context into which Paul is writing. He's writing to a colony, a Roman colony. And he says this, only hold on to what you have attained. And in verses just before this, he's using the imagery of an athlete running a race. And he says, the athlete doesn't quit before the finish line. I'll never forget sitting in my grandmother Wright's house one fall day. It was either November or December. And we're watching the Dallas Cowboys. They're playing, they're playing some other team. That's not the Cowboys. And it was the glory days. It was the 90s. And a guy named Leon Lett, number 78, picks up a fumble. And he's a big guy. He's a defensive tackle. He picks up that ball, and, it, and he's running down the field. And if memory serves, it's snowing. And Leon is about 15, 10 yards from the goal line. And he's decided that, yeah, I've run long enough. I've held onto the ball long enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax a little bit. So he slows down, and he holds the ball out like this. And little does he know, a defender from the other team runs up behind him, swats the ball out, and the glory that Leon let could have sealed for himself forever became (laughs) a bit of a joke for Leon Lett. He didn't finish the race. He didn't hold on to what he had already attained. And friends, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's writing to the church in East Dallas. And he says, hold on to it. Don't give up. Don't run three-quarters of the way there or seven-eighths of the way there or nine-tenths of the way there. Go all the way. And he uses this language of attaining something. What is he talking about? He's talking about the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? Well, friends, that's the hope of the resurrection. The hope that Psalm 80 was written in an echo of. The hope that you and I have in the midst 
of Harvey and Irma and Las Vegas, in the midst of rampant racism, in the midst of brokenness and injustice, in the midst of disease, of cancer, in the midst of living a life where you and I are beaten and battered by the world, where we long and groan inwardly just like creation for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. It's that hope of resurrection. You see, Paul earlier writes, that hope has already taken hold of me. Christ Jesus has already overwhelmed me. And now I press on to take hold of it, to run the race. And the image in the Greek word there, it's the same Greek word where Paul says it's taken hold of me. And now he says, I I see the goal up ahead and I'm going to run. I see the end zone in front of me and I'm going to hold on to the ball. I see the finish line and I'm going to make it all the way. I'm going to strain. What does that mean? What does that mean for you and for me living in something like a colony? If the, the citizens of Philippi, the residents of Philippi who were citizens of Rome were to to be incarnating, if you will, the culture of Rome, the worship of Caesar Augustus, the protection of Rome, the peace, the art, the culture, yada, yada, yada. What does that mean for you and for me as citizens of what Paul says in verse 20? Heaven. Now what is heaven? What's heaven got to do with this? Heaven is not the cloud that you and I will one day fly to and sit on top of with the Charmin characters or the precious moments. I love the precious moments. But that, that's a caricature of heaven. And in particular, we have a, a skewed view of heaven. Because what does Paul say? Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior who will take us there? No, from it. See, the image in the book of Revelation is that Christ comes to earth. That the resurrection is inaugurated. This new reality, this hope for which we long in that all of creation. Right now, look outside. Look outside. Don't you love that there are windows? Just in case you have ADD, it's a good outlet. It's safe. Look outside. That creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's longing for the return of Christ and for the resurrection of the dead and the living unto life, those who are in Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, there there will be a resurrection unto death. And that is eternal death. And that is no joke. So, our citizenship, friends, we're Dallasites, we're Texans. My gosh, never not going to be a Texan. We're Americans. But the deepest strain of our identity, the genetic code of our being, is one of citizenship in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior. I love the NIV says we eagerly await a Savior. We stand on tiptoes who will transform our lowly body 
to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We eagerly await our Savior in whom we have already attained a down payment of that resurrection. And the Holy Spirit, St. Paul says the same thing. Having heard the gospel and believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And now, the Spirit within us groans and longs and cries. But when we look around, we realize that we're more like a colony than we are like living in heaven right now. The Lord's Prayer says it well. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's to be our constant refrain. Begging God to bring the reality of heaven, which he will bring to earth one day, to bring that reality even into our midst, even now. Because, friends, the reason we're battered and bruised, the reason our bodies are failing and giving up, the reason that Paul has to tell the church in Philippi, keep going, don't give up, is because we're surrounded by reality that's not heaven. We're surrounded by a culture that does not value the things of heaven. We're surrounded by a culture, and in fact, we're sometimes aggressively, but most times passively, told to embody this culture. Paul describes it this way. uh, For many of you, or excuse me, verse 19, the people who embody or who are enemies of the cross, the people that embody the culture of the world that is at enmity with the culture of heaven have these things as their values. Their end is destruction. So they may not know it or not, but they have no hope. Their God is their belly. I mean, just stop right there for me. How many times are we driven by our urges, our cravings, our carnal longings, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things? That's the culture of the world. If I can just get more of this and that, whether it's notoriety or social cachet or money or stuff, if I can just keep accumulating then things are going to be looking good for me. I love, I adore our city. I love our city. This is my place and you and the people around us are my people. And our city shouts this culture so loudly to us. Satisfy your desires. Of course you deserve more and better. And really, if you're going to progress in life, you need to keep up. You need to have more and better and climb and get power and be known until we find that the end of that road, the end of that race that we run so frantically, beginning Monday morning, ending Friday afternoon and through the weekends, the end of that race is destruction. That's why our bodies are exhausted. That's why there's so much anxiety all around us. 
Because we live in a colony that embodies the worship of the one true God. Not of an earthly Lord that can promise to deliver us. We have real, authentic community with one another. Not the manufactured, oh, well, I like these things on Facebook. And Facebook tells me that you're supposed to be my friend. And the colony of heaven that we embody is to be a place of restoration. Where the healing that will come fully and finally and beautifully and powerfully in a way such as the world has never seen, where that healing can be tasted even now. Where that hope can be sensed and embodied and felt even now. Restoration. So, what does it look like for us to be a colony of heaven? What does it look like for us at All Saints East Dallas to be a people who are, who are embodying the reality that we've already attained? Even though we've got one foot in heaven and one foot on the earth, already but not yet, what does it look like for us? Well, the first thing I've mentioned is worship. Every time you step in this place on a Sunday, it's not just coming together and sitting in these long benches called pews and having bread and wine and singing some songs. What does Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. When they're gathered together in the name of Jesus, God is with us. What were the first words out of Chris's mouth after the procession? Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be His kingdom forever. Amen. We don't meet because Chris and I were like, well, we should have church, I guess. We meet because God has called us here. And not just some random God or God in the image of Caesar Augustus or in the image of you name it, a dollar sign or social notoriety or whatever it is. We meet in the name of God who has revealed Himself in history concretely as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this place is the place of His kingdom. And that is blessed forever and ever. Amen. So when you step into this place, own the reality that this is God's place. And when we come to this holy table, when we sing these songs, own the reality that we're stepping into the heavenly places. This isn't a dry ritual. This is the place of heaven. Remember what Jacob said when he saw the vision of the ladder at a place he would name Bethel? Oh, surely this is the gate of heaven. Every time we gather in the name of Jesus, every time we celebrate this Holy Communion, this Eucharist, this thanksgiving to God, it is the realm of heaven and we are the colony of heaven don't give up, Paul says. Strain ahead. Hold on to what you've already attained. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. You need each other. We need God. We need to pray to Him daily, individually. We need Him together. And if you hear me say strain and you think that means try harder, that's not 
It's really not what it means. I think it's different for everybody what it means for you to strain ahead. For me, it means silence. It means sitting before God. And yes, I want to tell Him my thoughts and I want to ask Him my things. But it means I need to shut the heck up. And let my Father speak to me. Let His Holy Spirit testify with my spirit that I am a son of God. To look into the face of Jesus Christ and see the glory of God in His light. As a colony of heaven, we must worship. As a colony of heaven, we have true and lasting community. Doesn't mean it's perfect. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, I remember going there a couple of months ago thinking, oh, I'm going to get some great factoids about community and how it's always great. And very early on, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in this book, Life Together, if you think community is perfect, you're mistaken. And if you feel that your community is perfect, then you probably aren't living in authentic community. The thing about living in heaven, the thing about living the resurrected life with our Messiah is that it's not just us and God in a little stall, but it is the church of God. People from every tribe, language, race, and tongue redeemed by the blood of the Lamb standing before God living in the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It is a communal thing. Do you know why Jesus said it's best to make amends with your neighbor before you get to the altar? Because you're going to live with eternity with your neighbor there in Christ. So remember, this is not a sanitary place, but it is sanctifying and safe. Meaning, we're going to have conflict. But we look at one another in the eye. We see creature of God in the image of God. And we, we keep short accounts. We resolve that. But when the, world see, when the world sees this colony of heaven and other churches, local expressions of the church all over the city, when the world sees this colony of heaven, they see something different. It's meant to be something that draws people in. The same thing for the worship. They may not like the style of worship, but they know that something spiritual is happening. They're drawn in to God. Obviously, our community here is both organized and organic. I have been flabbergasted to watch God organically build His church in you all. I've been blown away how you've participated in the organized ways that we do community, primarily pastorates, but our fellowship nights and all this other stuff, dinners for, nine, dinners for nine. But you, friends, are embodying the colony of heaven. And lastly, we, we live in worship, we live in community, but we also embody restoration. When Jesus went throughout Galilee, Matthew writes in, the begin, in chapter 4, he went out teaching and preaching, and healing, casting out demons, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Friends, the good news of the kingdom of heaven is not only that either when Jesus returns, if that should be before we die, or if when we die, we go to heaven. That is true. But the reality is, is that the reality of heaven can be in us even now. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can experience restoration. We can experience healing. We can experience deliverance from sin that has held us for weeks, months, years, or decades. We can forgive people that we don't feel like we have the power to forgive. We can be healed. We can be healed of a simple ankle injury or of terminal cancer. As a colony of heaven, God wants us to seek that restoration. Restoration with His reality. Restoration one with another. Healing in the power of His Spirit. We do that through prayer at Holy Communion. I've seen God heal people, not particularly here, but I've seen God people heal, God heal people in communion and receiving the bread and the wine. And friends, that's our prayer. Is that the Lord of glory who is coming to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body, that He would stand in our midst, stand before us, and not only draw people to Himself from all over East Dallas, but He would stand in our midst for you and for me and bring us healing, restoration. You see, as a Roman colony, Philippi, if they were faced with a disaster... They could appeal to their Lord, Caesar Augustus. And in the best case, say some barbarian tribes came in, they could appeal to him. He could bring the power of the Roman army, expel the enemy, and establish the glory of Rome in their midst. Friends, in this, the church, a colony of heaven, we are battered and embattled day after day after day, a little bit like the Israelites praying in Psalm 80. And the power of our Lord is infinitely greater than Caesar Augustus. The power of His restoration and healing to drive out those who would speak against Him, those who would bring disorder into the colony of heaven is far greater. And the glory of our heavenly city, it will take an eternity to plumb the depths of it. And God wants to come and deliver that to us today and tomorrow and the next day because we have already attained to it. That upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Friends, we grieve with those who grieve. We mourn with those, with those who mourn. We are going to have days when we're befuddled, when we're confused, when we're frustrated, and we're, frankly, we just don't give a darn. But don't forget the reality of the colony of heaven that you and I have been brought into in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, let this reality fill our, fill our veins. Come, Holy Spirit. Let the hope of the resurrection be in us. Let it be a song on our lips. Let it put a skip in our step. Let the glory of the new Jerusalem, the holy city that comes out of heaven as a bride adorned for her bridegroom, let that glory, Lord, fill this church. And Lord, let all of these things 
draw people into yourself, the broken and the dispossessed, the disenfranchised, Lord, the abused, the shame-stricken, those whose God is their belly, whose end is destruction, mercifully draw them into you, Lord Jesus Christ. Do this all for the glory of your name, that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.